재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵. And we're back. We are continuing our discussion on the U.S. presidential race. I guess you can call it a race now. It's uh, certainly a lot closer than some people may have expected. Uh, we'll talk about um, what we've alluded to briefly, these uh, upcoming presidential debates, including the big one uh, coming up shortly. Uh, what effect uh, the third-party candidacies of Gary Johnson and Jill Stein would have on the race? And really just... Ultimately, uh, as the voters uh, set to go to the polls in November, decide who will be the leader of the free world. What are some of the remaining factors at play? Give us your thoughts. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a talk message by adding TBS EFM as a plus friend. We're going to be joined by a political analyst very shortly. Here in the studio, our good friend from Hanguk University of Foreign Studies, Huang Jong-uk. Um, Professor Huang You've been involved in debates. Uh, we've, we have debates here on this program as well. It, probably nothing more high stakes than an actual presidential uh, debate. Uh, do you feel that, I, and the stakes are high, we, we can say that's certainly the case. We talked about the low bar and then I think something like George W. Bush also kind of enjoyed that sort of privilege of having right. a low bar. What do you think they want to accomplish in these debates, the respective candidates? Well, one name of the game is that it is an expectations game. I mean, if you were to look at Trump and Clinton in a in a double blind study, I think Clinton will win by far a big margin based on the fact that she's a well known policy wonk. So if you're just listening for their policies, I think Clinton can you know have uh, Trump's lunch any day. But however, people know that. So people expect Clinton to be really well-versed in policies. And while there is no such expectation for Trump, I think for Trump, basically, he just needs to look presidential. And I think he would have accomplished his goal. On the other hand, I think Clinton will need to do her best to really uh, present a very stark contrast between herself and Trump. Right. You can approach it various ways. The competency issue, the temperament issue, right? Nuclear codes. So... It's kind of determined that, yes, this person knows policy, this person perhaps won't. So we're not going to see something like, what's the nuclear triad be like this game changer, I suppose, aspect of of the uh, first debate. Continuing along that uh, line of discussion, we're very pleased to have joining us from Kyunghee University, political science professor Seo Jung-gun. Hello. Hello. Professor Saw, thank you so much for joining us. I know a lot of people have been asking about these presidential elections, and uh, we're glad that you're going to answer some questions for us as well. We got these upcoming debates. Historically speaking, how big of a game changer is this? I know that you can count on um, one hand where you can maybe say it had an effect, like the 1960 uh, televised Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Nixon debate, or uh, maybe um, Reagan Carter in 1980, uh, perhaps uh, to a smaller extent the uh, George W. Bush Al Gore debate in 2000 with all the sighing and and, and all mm-hmm. of that. But do you think this Monday debate could be a game changer in the election? Well, I mean, some people even joke that the presidential debate scheduled on next Monday. Uh, will be the biggest uh, TV event since mm. the moon landing. Wow. <laughs> so normally 60 to 70 million people watch the debate, and yet this time around almost 100 million viewers are expected to turn on the TV. So, well, in terms of how the debate will play out, uh, we less than uh, 50 days to go. Uh, here's what I think both Hillary and Trump camp would like to do. I guess the Hillary camp uh, should be concerned about the recent enthusiasm gap. 
So especially Democratic voters under 35 years old seem to be shifting to the 30-party candidates like Gary Johnson or Jill Stein. So Hillary needs to fire up the base and boost the turnout. So, well, I guess the strategy should be two things. First, she needs to clarify her message, what she would do and how she changed the country if elected. Well, second thing is to show her human side of personality. Uh, the Hillary tears uh, right before the New Hampshire uh, primary back in 2008, uh, as you recall, uh, seemed to work. Mm. So with respect to the um, Trump case, I guess what's always missing in the Trump candidacy is, as you mentioned before, qualification, temperament, and predictability. So uh, Trump should show the American voters how much presidential he could be looking so a tech dog image uh, is already there. Yeah. Uh, so the Trump needs to make people believe that, oh, this guy uh, could be our next president. Let's talk national security. And uh, this is something that all the pundits always like to give opinions on. It's when there's an attack, who does it favor? Always sort of part of the political horse race. Uh, I think right. the argument was that San Bernardino, those tragic shootings in San Bernardino sort of helped Donald Trump, especially mm-hmm. in the lead up with the primaries. However, the, uh, the, the uh, horrific shootings at the Orlando nightclub kind of hurt him because his callous sort of self-congratulatory tone that he took That's here. Right. Um, we had the, the weekend uh, uh, bombings in New York, New York, New Jersey, the stabbings in, in Minnesota. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think those things will sway voter opinion either way? Well, uh, what I, uh, I guess is, uh, is that the truth is that terrorism is already a fact of life in the United States. So in the case of 9-11, as you know, the Bush administration could play the national security card against the Democratic Party. Yet since Bush's Iraq war debacles and Obama's killing of Osama bin Laden, the so-called security gap between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party has almost disappeared. So both candidates, I guess, have some problems regarding the issue of terrorism, as you said. Uh, in the case of Trump, he seems to be tough but unreliable, and Hillary seems to be hawkish, but she is the kind of the incumbent party candidate, is sort of responsible for the current situation. So in short, I guess Trump will argue that uh, homegrown terrorism is a result of failed immigration and refugee policies and make the issue big in the upcoming debate. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Now, most people who I suppose are well up on their uh, U.S. civics knows that this is not a straight up or down popular vote. Uh, uh-huh. There is an electoral college system, 538. You need 270 to win. Each state is allotted a number of electors, uh, depending on the population. Okay, blah, blah, blah. But uh, traditionally, there are these uh, smaller number of swing states uh, that could go either way in an election. Um, uh, some are given more importance than others. Uh, the cliches, of course, it's always Florida and Ohio sort of looming large. What do you think are some of the must-win states right now for Trump and Clinton? Well, I would say um, uh, there are two must-win states for the Hillary campaign, and they are, I guess, Pennsylvania and Virginia. So my own calculation is this. Uh, Let's say that Hillary is carrying the states of Nevada, Pennsylvania, Virginia, as Obama did in 2012, and yet losing the states of Ohio, Florida, Iowa, and even North Carolina, Hillary still has the edge of 279 versus 259. Mm-hmm. It's a very conservative estimate of how Hillary uh, uh, will uh, uh, play the game. 
I guess uh, still the Hillary can be the Electoral College winner. So I would say that we should watch Pennsylvania and Virginia, and especially we can hear the results of Virginia quite soon on the election night. Right. So it's very critical. Yeah, it's interesting because those two states, uh, they've sort of kind of gone the other way, where Pennsylvania has been always a blue, traditionally Democratic state. Some people say maybe Donald Trump can make a play at it. Virginia, bizarrely now, the campaign has actually pulled advertising out of there um, initially, at, le- at least right now, because they feel that the, say, the state through current polling is relatively safe for Clinton. But in your view, as far as states flipping and the traditional red and blue, we've seen some pretty interesting polling results so far. Uh, apparently, uh, it's pretty close in South Carolina, Georgia, maybe even. Arizona. Even, <laughs> even Utah might be. Uh, <laughs> Utah, that's right. It's kind of weird yeah. election year, I mean, as, as you know. And in, in the case of Virginia, uh, what I'm concerned concerned about, I don't think I should say this, <laughs> but uh, uh, for the uh, Hillary perspective, uh, Virginia is kind of a worrying state, I guess, because if you go to northern Virginia, where uh, liberal voters are uh, living to uh, cast the ballot for the Democratic Party, uh, the young voters are there, and young voters are kind of very uh, quickly disappointed about the dishonesty of Hillary Clinton candidacy. So, I guess Virginia, of, of course, uh, Tim Kaine is a senator from Virginia, and that was the reason why uh, Tim Kaine was picked up as a running mate. But I, I would argue that still Virginia is a must-win state uh, for Hillary uh, campaign. And, well, so like I said, uh, if uh, Hillary is losing Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, blah, 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 and give uh, Colorado uh, 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 back to uh, uh, a Democratic Party and uh, and others. I guess still uh, the the Hillary camp- Hillary campaign is kind of uh, having some advantage in terms of the electoral college calculation. Yeah. Well, uh, it's going to be interesting indeed, especially that first debate coming up. Uh, Professor mm-hmm. Sal, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us. Always appreciate it. Thank you so much. And Professor Huang in the studio listening to what you say. Anything um, you feel outraged about or want to rebut or um, any any interesting points? Well, I mean, obviously, Professor So is an expert on an electoral college counting. <laughs> That's entirely on a school, you know, a, a specialty by itself. So, you know, I'll definitely defer to him. But I mean, for sure, I mean, many people have commented on how weird this uh, election is just because the the traditional red and blue split hasn't quite held up as you mentioned a number of states such as Utah, Georgia that seem to be moving in a really strange direction so it's worth you know keep, uh, keeping on watch on those uh, those movements. Right now 270 um, there there has been kind of countless sort of uh, uh, thought pieces and, and analysis done on these and it's essentially inherently a Democratic Party's advantage. Basically, there are 11 states that have voted always Democratic for the past six election yep. cycles. Um, they total a uh, pretty large plurality of those votes. And so you have a handful of these so-called swing states that can te- stem the tide for Donald Trump, regardless of what we're t- we've been talking about, uh, this recent momentum that he's been enjoying. It, the poker terminology always used is if he loses any of those sort of crucial, like Virginia, or if he, I guess he's making the play at Pennsylvania, but if he doesn't get Pennsylvania, he has to pull an inside straight to basically get to 270, that number, right? All of right. those swing states, essentially, he has to pretty much carry 
to be able to say, I can get to 270, to have that path to winning, basically. That's right. I mean, the overall population pattern in the United States has favored the Democratic Party. You know, you know this has been a really slow-moving uh, trend in the United States. Although, I mean, on the other hand, if you look at demographics, yes, it's, things are getting slightly ever more uh, uh, favorable for Democratic Party. On the other hand, keeping in mind that this is going to be on a third Democratic term that, that you know, the Hillary Clinton is uh, will be seeking after uh, the Obama presidency. I mean, that actually favors Republican Party as well. So, um, yeah, and Donald Trump by himself is a, is the biggest uh, the the unknown Joker card. So we'll yeah. see how it really plays out. That those factors, as you point out, kind of really belie how bizarre this entire phenomenon is because you say you've run basically for a third term as an incumbent um, president it's a very difficult task to try and win that on the other hand you have a pretty good economy and that's usually a fairly strong single uh, signal as to the electoral success of that party under which the economy is a steward of and you have the approval rating of the incumbent president which is um, quite high uh, for someone coming off of two terms, especially in contrast to George W. Bush in the past here. So then the question is, still it remains, I guess we can see why it's close because there are those historical factors, but then there are all these demographic factors and you have this sense that, okay, these are two flawed candidates and it's very polarized, not a lot of middle ground necessarily. It really does come out to then energizing your base. And who does that the most effectively? And at the same time, it's kind of unclear what the base is for <laughs> Donald Trump. I mean, I think that's one of the issues that people have trouble getting uh, getting their heads around. It's not the same kind of the base that George W. Bush and Karl Rove tried to energize. It seems to be a very different kind of mix. And people yeah. are talking about alt-right movement. And, you know, Donald Trump has been fairly overtly making gestures towards that uh, along those lines. I mean, you know, in the last 24 hours, I've been hearing nothing about but Skittles based on Donald Trump. Yeah. Junior's good yeah. comments. So, yeah, it's it's been a wild ride. For yeah, sure. you know, just along that point that you're making, that uh, what is the base? The fact that they are actually thinking, even though recent polling has shown that Pennsylvania still is largely in um, Democratic oh, yeah. territory with the, with the polling, but the reason why they feel that is a winnable state is there is a large swath outside of the Philadelphia Pittsburgh areas that is predominantly uh, blue collar, yep. white. And non-college educated, and they feel they can target it. Right. One other state that's usually been safely Democratic, but now is in play, they say, and is perhaps maybe even going to lean Republican, is Iowa. Yep. Very white, predominantly um, blue-collar agri- agricultural state. So it does kind of, unfortunately, and you mentioned the Skittles controversy and the, the Muslim bans and, and all that rhetoric, the alt-right, there does seem to be that very strong racial element and that's really kind of been reflected I think in how society in the United States has been sort of discussing this election. Exactly and and, and at the same time I think Donald Trump has been reading the trend uh, quite closely that's why he focused on the immigration issues uh, so much. So yeah I mean uh, I think we are not exactly sure exactly the exact makeup of his base I mean we have rough idea there, there's some data out there. Right. Who, uh, who you can't just the, say white people right? Exactly. It, there's a very specific subset That's of right. those people who are disaffected. And the question is whether those numbers of disaffected people who may not have been involved in the uh, voting process before are exactly. large enough 
to override this sort of uh, shifting demographic trend. And that that group does not coincide exactly with the traditional Republican base, so which is you know big unknown. Yeah, nobody has really studied this you know in depth. We haven't had a lot of data, so which is why there's so much uncertainty built into the whole process. Then let's talk about the Democratic Party, so-called. Base, because that's a little bit, I suppose, easier to yep. define, Professor Huang. Uh, for the past eight years, we've been talking about the Obama coalition, bringing in these people, again, who weren't necessarily part of the political process, but energized by this charismatic, uh, hopeful figure in a young Barack Obama. Um, we're talking about college-educated people, yep. minorities, uh, people of uh, various um, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, really coming together. There has been, I guess, chatter that that coalition is what's needed to definitively win this election for Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party. But because of the fact that the Bernie Sanders phenomenon, some people say, usurped or overlapped with a lot of those people who traditionally supported Obama, it's been a big problem because she hasn't been able to energize that aspect of her base. Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate thing for the Democratic Party is that Hillary Clinton is a historically unfavored uh, candidate. Basically, if you look at the unfavorable ratings, basically the only candidate who exists her is Donald mm-hmm, Trump. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a lot of people in the United States are literally saying, really, I really don't like the either uh, either candidate. And I think that really translates directly to the enthusiasm gap that you mentioned earlier, especially among the young, typically Democratic-leaning voters. And it's, this is going to be a big headache for the Clinton campaign to somehow figure out how to tap into those voters. Yeah, and uh, just maybe just to toss this issue sort of out, of out of the way as well, a lot of people talking about how Gary Johnson, he's the Libertarian Party, candidate uh, polling close to 10%, Jill Stein getting like 3 to 5% depending on the polls and wondering how much that would affect the uh, calculations of the race. My reading of the history of most of these trends is that by election day, most of those voters, that poll number tends to be inflated and they do definitely right. uh, end up settling in to one of the two major candidates. The difference this year again is that sort of disaffected voter exactly. Uh, phenomenon, which on the right, that populist disaffected vote seems to be coalescing towards Donald Trump, and there's no question about that. But then on the left, or even in the middle, there's that idea, because it, it has been fairly clear that any polling that involves the four candidates as opposed to the two candidates, those two independent candidate, third-party candidates are definitely hurting Hillary more than Donald Trump. It does seem that way. Although at this point, you know, people might be willing to say, yeah, I mean, the election is 50 days away. I'm kind of interested in looking at Gary Johnson or Jill Stein. But the, typically the historical trend has always been if when the you know, cars on the table, then you know, people do tend to gravitate towards the, one of the two major party candidates. But we have very atypical major party candidates. So, I mean, I think the honest answer is kind of who knows. <laughs> Who knows? And yeah. you might say, okay, well, 2012, Gary Johnson also ran. He showed pretty high numbers there during the uh, pollings. However, once election did about barely a blip on the radar. Exactly. Almost everybody uh, decided to ultimately settle for either Obama or Romney. That being said, there is the, again, this is sort of political history, but 2000, Ralph Nader only got about 3% of the vote. But if it's a very, very close election, oh, yeah. that 3% is crucial. And Not even 3%. I mean, it just was a matter of a few hundred votes in Florida, basically. Right. That's what swung the uh, election in 2000. Yep. And so. if you maybe do not like the last eight years of U.S. foreign policy and how history has gone, you can see that that really had oh, an absolutely. outsized impact on the history of the world. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. 
So we have the uh, debate coming up. Still got um, close to two months left for this uh, final election. And I know that uh, it looks like it's uh, pretty close right now. Uh, give us your thoughts uh, as we have, because I'm sure we're going to talk about this <laughs> again before uh, the November uh, election day. But uh, basically, is it time to panic if you are worried about what a Trump presidency will do? At this point, it's probably a safe bet to worry quite a bit. Yes. Oh, okay. I mean, if... The, I mean, you know, a few weeks ago, it looked like, you know, Trump was actually just catering and he himself seemed to have known that, which is why he really shook up his campaign team. You know, basically, whole, there was a wholesale change in his team. And right now, things have tightened quite a bit. And, you know, if you're a Clinton supporter, you know, you have to actually say, hey, there's a one in three chance that Trump could be the next president. How comfortable are you with that, that the, with that kind of chance? And I think if you're in a typical Clinton supporter, that should be you know, enough to give okay. you many nightmares. Well, thanks for freaking uh, everybody out <laughs> who's been listening. But uh, we'll definitely assess this again at a later date. Uh, Professor Huang, as always, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much.